Hello, and welcome to the first mixtape episode of February 2021. Rabbit, rabbit, everyone. This week, we talk about the glorious cinematography of the 1991 dud, Cool as Ice. There's a lesson here. Always give it your all when perfecting your craft. Special thanks to David Friedman for his great substack on the topic, which we will drop in the show notes. We also dissect Greg's standard of approval for well-covered songs, doing math in your head, applying makeup while you're running, PSA, don't do it, and what if an AI robot wrote a song using only a catalog from the early 2000s. We also dive into the following tracks, Feeling Good by Crownlands, Palberta's Before I Got Here, Long Distance by Favorite Daughter, and Redemption by TJ Ward. This is Nanobot Rock Mixtape. What? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> what did you just say? I got our episode title. <laughs> what did you just say? Everyone's going to click into that one. What did you just say? <laughs> well, no, what, what I was doing was I was trying to do all of the <laughs> j sounds, and I just made it plural. I made j plural. <laughs> so, vanilla oh, ice. About Vanilla Ice, about you vanilla had ice. forwarded did me. Uh, it was an article. Why don't you tell was the it, lovely was it really an article? Folks at home? It was a, a synopsis. It was a Substack post. Yes, Vanilla Ice movie. Yes, seriously, by David Friedman, published October 27, twenty twenty. Clay, tell the fine folks why we are talking about the art of quote cool as ice. Well, for the kids at home, in the early nineties, there was a musical sensation sweeping the nation. Sweeping the nation. Of a, of a young man with a stripe in his hair. Rob Van Winkle? Robert Matthew Van Winkle, also known as Vanilla Ice. He went on to uh, star in such films as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze. Go, Ninja! Go, Ninja! Go! Go, Ninja! Go, Ninja! Go! 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 Ninja! Ninja! Which uh, inspired the dance for Ted Lasso. See? can bring it up every episode if I want to. I think we should. Until we get season two and three, uh, we need to. AFC Richmond for life. Part of his wonderful fame was somebody thought to uh, give this man a movie. I'm sure because he showed amazing act- acting styles on his music videos and whatnot. Or somebody just wanted to cash in on a one-hit wonder. Two hits. Was he a one-hit Well, okay. okay. Yes, yes. Ice Ice Baby and... Ninja Rap. Ninja Rap. Go Ninja. Go Ninja. Go. So no, in 1991, go. <laughs> I'm fine. I'll go. I'm not a ninja. Yes. So 1991. 1991 rolls around, and there's a film. There is a film titled "Cool as Ice." Yes, I never saw it. I, I must say, did I. I saw the trailer, and I'm pretty sure, even as an 11 year old boy who would go see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies, that even I looked at that and said, mm, "I'll pass." But I, and so I don't know what the movie is about. I have no synopsis of it. I could look it up, but I really don't want to. So then why are we talking about it? Well, as terrible as a movie as it was, as- Presumably. Uh, <laughs> well, we've never as seen David it. David Freeman in his article points out, it received a 6% score on Rotten Tomatoes and cost $6 million to make, and they recouped $1.2 of that. So adjust for today's inflation, it probably still made $1.2 million. Let, let's put an optimistic spin on this. In 1991, Vanilla Ice made a movie that brought in over a million dollars. True. And cost the studio $5 million. Did you see? Now you're just okay. six. Yep, yep. I know. I'm the, I'm the glass half full, half empty. Okay, but, but the, the interesting point about this, and yes, jokes aside about Vanilla Ice and this Cool as Ice movie, David Freeman at the time remarked to his friends that that movie should be nominated for an Oscar. Why would a Vanilla Ice movie be nominated for an Oscar? Yes, because, caveat Oscar for best cinematography. Yes, because but, for film nerds, cinematography is basically what us common folk call photography. It's setting up the establishing shots it's you know making sure that everything has the correct lighting. It's making sure that, that the pictures are painting the story. 
It's the study of cinemat. <laughs> you shut your mouth. All right. Um, <laughs> to uh, put a bow on his comment about that, it did not win an Oscar. However, Vanilla Ice did, did end up winning a Razzie for Worst New Star. So take that one where you will. However, the cinematographer for Cool as Ice, and I'm going to probably completely butcher his name, as I do with all the foreign names, Gomerica. The cinematographer was Janusz Kaminski. Janusz Kaminski. Janusz Kaminski, as I said. Greg, what movie <laughs> did he work on next that he, did, well, that he did end up winning an Oscar for? Funny you should ask, Clay, because two years after Cool as Ice, he uh, was nominated and ultimately won for filming Schindler's List. So you go from... Vanilla Ice to Schindler's List. And I'm not talking you just leave the theater and go two doors down to the next movie. This is a a huge stride in the career of this individual. So, but, but also, I, I mean, you know, it's worth noting, and, and as pointed out here uh, in the article by Mr. Friedman as well, he would continue to work with Spielberg, and he would go on to do Saving Private Ryan, another Oscar, The Lost World, Minority Report, AI... War of the Worlds, Munich, Amistad, Lincoln, The Post, and apparently he's working on this new West Side Story. Yeah, but the thing to think about here is Steven Spielberg sat down and watched Cool as Ice <laughs> and said, I need to get that guy. <laughs> Vanilla Ice, that is. Yes. Nope. No. Oh, okay. He, was an ex well, and, he okay. also was an extra in every single Spielberg movie. To kind of get to the point of, of why we're bringing this up is this article, which we will have in the show notes by David Friedman, it points out why Cool as Ice was, was such a, left such a profound impact upon him. And he elaborates on it and he includes some of the shots and he explains the shots that were taken within the movie, as he put it, that are more beautiful than the film deserves. And, and he even shows the snippets of it within the article. And there's these moments if you look at these and and there's even the the gif here where it it will pan out oh God, Greg, and he breaks no. it all down <laughs> but he breaks You're it all down to... and he explains how the strong composition of these people become from the foreground to the background and he outlines it and the thing that got us really talking about this clay before this episode was finding the beauty in an otherwise throwaway experience, I guess is one way we could put it. A lot of people might look at this and go, oh God, that Vanilla Ice movie was terrible. Yet he sees this as, look what they did well. Yep. Look, what, look what happened really well here. Yep. And strangely enough, that's kind of why Nanobot exists as well, is, is we look at things and we go, okay, but look what they did well. You might go, oh, this is an opening band. I don't want to pay attention to them. But wait a minute, look at what they're doing well. And yes, this... This cinematographer began with Cool as Ice, but then he'd go on to win two Oscars. He has left his mark on some of the most iconic Spielberg movies. Well, and not only that, but when they made this movie that he didn't sit down and go, you know, and they're like, hey, we're we're going to make this movie and here's our terrible script and here's our terrible story and here's our terrible star. And this guy didn't say, well, I'm just going to punch in and punch out like he made the most of what he could out of what he was given. And maybe he was using it as a, as a, as a resume for look at my abilities. Yeah. And, and he's putting together a portfolio. But what he did was he turned a vanilla ice movie into something that, that I mean, Spielberg sat down and watched it. And with all due respect, where deserved for vanilla ice, I don't think Spielberg was watching it for vanilla ice. Unless Spielberg's a vanilla ice fan. Maybe. You never know. To kind of run to the to the end you know I, th I think i think friedman had three really good takeaways which was one that we all need to start somewhere like your your career has got to start with something we you're not going to come out of film school and immediately do schindler's list like you're gonna have to cut your teeth doing other things first and then or what if i put it into the into the rock sense you and your friends getting together and making a band you're not immediately going to get signed by whatever the Arista Records of today is. And yeah, I mean, Green Day, they had to have the Spy Rock moments before they could become Green Day. Yep. 
And then his second takeaway, even a terrible project can be a good place to practice your craft. So make the most of every opportunity. So that gets back to what I was saying before of even if you get handed this bummer of a script or that you aren't, uh, you know, you're, you're in a high school band, you're covering Greg, Ice Ice Baby. Greg, who's a, who's a, who's a rock artist today that I should be doing? Kylie Minogue. Wait, no. Uh, <laughs> Megan Trainer. <laughs> Nickelback. <laughs> You're covering Imagine Dragons songs. That's in the foyer. Take a number. Or uh, Mumford and Sons. Jude and the Line. I, these are all things that I've I've, I've seen in the past. Uh, that use it as a chance to to stand out and really like harness your craft and get better at playing the guitar or playing the playing the drums or playing the bass. <laughs> the g- <laughs> the bass and the drums. And then finally, you can't always be creative alone. Sometimes you need to stop, collaborate, and listen. I see what you did there. I see what he did there. And those are really good points. And that now go that, make it, some it's, art, it's, baby. Art, art, baby. He said that. Too he cold. Said, now go make some art, art, baby. Oh, this is one the, of those optical illusions where I my brain like got rid of one of the other arts. Okay, that's the the. So it's it's really important to understand that, and I think the second point of that, even a terrible project can be a good place to practice your craft. So make the most of every opportunity. You pointed out the high school bands and covering songs. A lot of musicians start out by covering songs, and some of them continue to cover songs. Some of them continue to cover songs. This clay. Oh, he's freaking out right now because Clay just had the the amazing segue. Brings us into the first track of the February mixtape. I didn't even mean to do that. It happened all on its own. Organically. It did. Because you went and made art art, baby. Even podcasts can become art, Greg. Yes, our first... (laughs) (laughs) Greg is trying to move us along because he's got to go to Walmart. No, 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 no. You had this great segue and they were just like, yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to pat myself on the back for that for a little while. Ride it. Ride the segue. <laughs> and don't fall off because segues, you can't fall off segues. Unless you're the president. Oh, anyway. Oh, I keep setting them up. You keep knocking them down. So, Greg, I think this is the first time that we've actually included a cover on one of the mixtapes, if I'm remembering correctly. Sure, because uh, what's so funny about Peace, Love, and Understanding is, is not a cover. Okay, I stand corrected. Greg, I think this is the second time that we've introduced a cover into the mixtape. We'll go with a maybe, but why don't you tell the fine folks at home why we're talking about cover song? We are talking about cover songs because I, like you, I love Peloton so much. <laughs> you love Peloton yes. so much? So in the, in the tail end of 2020... Uh, Peloton introduced a new ad campaign featuring the Nina Simone hit Feeling Good. And in this, they in, they introduced three different versions of the track. The original Simone track where you could do yoga with it. And then there was also a, I think it was the, the biking version, featured the LA-born rapper Duckworth. But then in the working out section, there was a hard rock version. And that hard rock version of Feeling Good was done by the one, the only, Crownlands. Canadian duo of Kevin Como and Cody Bowles 
were already kind of an up and coming band, so to speak. They Canadian. Had, Canadian. Yes. Where is isn't it the Toronto area? I they're, they they yes, were raised in southwestern Ontario, which would be, ladies and gentlemen, psych rock blues band from Oshawa, Ontario, home of such famous acts as the Marvelous Bohunks. The duo met six years ago and immediately bonded over their love of such acts as Rush, which... What? <laughs> I know. It's Canadians Canadian talk, love of Rush? Canadians talking about how much they love Rush. So weird. Hmm. Which, which may have kind of led to some of the ways that they style their music, where, where Como, who actually plays the guitar, the bass, and the keyboards, and does the keyboards with his feet, a la Getty Lee... With Bowles doing uh, doing double duty on the vocals and the drums, just two things. Yeah, uh, but it's like he's not even trying. <laughs> this song, you listen to it and you're like, "There's no way this is two guys," and then you find out it's two guys, and you, you, your whole worldview just changes. When you pitched this song, I saw the title and I went, "Please, please don't be a cover." Of the 1964 track that was composed by Anthony Newley and Leslie Briscoe, or Briscoe, excuse me, you know, made famous arguably by Nina Simone, most famous. But I mean, this has been covered by everybody and their brother. Traffic, Michael Bublé, Coltrane, George Michael, Eels, Muse, everybody in the shower realizing it's Saturday and not another workday. Like everybody has covered this track. When you put this into the mixtape. I was about to call you and scream into the phone, why did you pick this song? You never then, you never call me. So that was that must that must really shook your shook your emotional core. It shook me and then I listened to Crownlands and I immediately went out and purchased their entire discography. <laughs> I believe I texted you and said, "Damn you. It is okay. I'm I'm going to immediately quash any quick references people are going to have." Don't assume that the vocals here are going to put it into some Led Zeppelin, Greta Van Fleet category. Knock that off. We don't need that crap anymore. The sound that Crown Lands established, the way that they, and I'm going to say it, elevate feeling good to a truly new feeling was incredibly striking to me. It, it, I mean, a lot happens in this four and a half minutes. A lot. It begins with this almost Gilmore-esque echoing drift. Like, I, I, my mind immediately went to some spotlight with Gilmore on stage yeah. at, like, the dance, and it's just this echoing guitar that I, okay, you got me hooked. There's the unshakable plant slash Robertson vocals that pick one, get over it, we're moving on. Greta Van Fleet is not Led Zeppelin. Crown Lands is their own sound as well. But the buildup and the way that this song becomes an enormous swell how is this just a duo from Oshawa Execution of Feeling Good by Crownlands. I mean, this song is, I'm not going to do the math, but it's 50 some odd years old, 60 some odd years old, almost, almost 60 years. Okay, quick math. I'll say that it's 57 years old. Wow, in my head. This song is ha over half a century old, and somehow, some way, Crownlands made it feel like a new song, almost like they came up with this. To that, I applaud them. This is 
don't ever put feeling good on the mixtape again, but <laughs> this was... But what if I find another one? I went and bought the whole... I've been listening to pretty much the entire discography of Crownland since I hit play. And this is only the first track of the mixtape. Yeah. Well, I it's going to be hard to find one that yeah. is this comparable. And full transparency here. Like usually, you know, when when we're putting this together, it's we're getting... We're getting press materials. We're getting, you know, individual requests tuned into the end when I ask people to send their stuff to us. But this was one that I I had kind of put together an initial framework of what we were going to cover this week. And then because Spotify decides to say, you like this song, maybe you will like these next 12 in their little algorithm. The next one that came out was actually Crownland Spit It Out. And it was just this moment where I just like kind of went, I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to turn and look at what I'm listening to right now because it's just Crownlands to me. It just kind of like the way that you illustrated it is perfect. Like they just capture your attention and then just build on it. I just kind of had to go, oh, okay, when did this come out? And then I saw Feeling Good had come out at the end of last year. I'm like, okay, this is this is getting added. I'm I'm making an executive decision here that we are going to discuss Feeling Good. So I'm glad that it uh, it met your standards of approval for this this overused cover it didn't meet my standards of approval it set a pack of tnt next to them and absolutely blew them into the stratosphere this crownlands is rock feeling good is it's a beautifully done song in in most regards i mean the muse version is just i mean matthew bellamy's voice the way that he builds on that track it's it's fantastic the nina simone gets into your soul and moves you. I mean, Nina Simone in general, but her version of that song does an amazing thing. And when you can go in and you can find something and you can make it your own, if you're going to cover something, like you talked about the the high school bands and things like that, go for it. Don't don't let people disparage you from trying to, to cover a song, but don't just replicate it with your voice and your guitar. Figure out a way that embodies what you're trying to do and make it happen. And Crownlands did that, and it feels incredibly effortless, but the effort it would take for me to reach what they did would break me, because I'm old and fragile. But Feeling Good by Crownlands is a fantastic and refreshing take on a track that is over a half century old. Crownlands' self-titled album came out in late 2020, but feeling good is a, is a standalone. Like we said earlier, it was part of a uh, ad campaign for the Peloton fitness equipment, which everyone knows and loves so much. If you like what you heard, go check out their new album and go download Feeling Good. Imagine, Clay, if you will, for a moment, you are in New York City. Have you ever been to New York City? I have been one time. Cool. I've never been there, but I've seen movies. So I imagine... <laughs> they've, they've done a couple there. Yeah, a couple. Uh, but imagine New York City, like the city, the heart of the city, 
towering spires of of mixed use buildings and things like that and 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 then go to Brooklyn. And then <laughs> why are we go- I don't know why we're going to Brooklyn. But it's where Capel Well, okay. From. It's but just let me introduce no, the song. No, I will Clay. not. You will respect your not elders. Clay's older than I am. The imagine if you're in New York and your, you find your beard this is better than mine. Uh, my glorious beard. All right. The mixed use buildings a, go. Yeah, there's a, a sound just emanating from this basement. People are lined up outside, and it's just this kind of this energy and this this chaos that's stirring. Yeah, I'm you, picturing it in Brooklyn. There you go. You take a chance. You go into the basement venue, and people are just mm, moving around, love them. doing what they're doing. And on stage is a trio of women that are just erupting and exploding with this punk sensibility and energy that is just infectious. And that is kind of the image that I get when I first sat down with "Before I Got Here" by Paul Berta. Follow-up to 2018's Roach Going Down, Palberta 5000 will be out, or I'm sorry, it is out, on Wharf Cat Records. Came out January 22nd. It's the fifth album from Palberta, which is Annie, Nina, and Lily music, as they say. It's it's from an album that, and we're talking about Before I Got Here. Before I Got Here is from an album that is intended to up the production and refine the sound of Palberta. So if you've heard Palberta before, the intent here is exactly that. They wanted to up their production. They wanted to refine their sound. And the more I listen to Palberta, the less I want it to go in that direction. It reminds me, Clay, of, of when we saw Pinky Pinky on stage at Treefort. If you recall, we, they were in the, just the three of them up on stage. Not a lot of people in the venue, but it was the, the trio was up there just grinding out that, that punk sound. And it, it was an experience. And don't get me wrong. I want nothing but success for Palberta. But the raw sense of that sound is what drew me in. It's that raw energy. It's just that plug in and distort and go sound is, is exactly why I went to this song. I want that. I, so when I hear they want to up the production, refine the sound, I'm thinking, don't, don't do that. Don't over compress this. Don't overproduce this. It needs that basement find kind of quality to it because one, it drives the message and two, it, it totally wraps its arms around the style and sound that they're going for. Do you agree? What I kind of feel like is that they, with this song, did a, a little bit of a, I don't know, a bait and switch, a rope a dope, a rope and switch, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. A bait and dope? A bait and dope. But they kind of, they, they lure you in with uh, this this pop track, you know, like this highly refined pop track that you were talking about. And the and the band and this, and this trio that you talked about, uh, Nina Reiser, Ani Ivory Block, and Lily Konigsberg kind of said when they when they created this record that they were set, they set out to kind of build more harmonies in and that was kind of their their focus and their approach to doing this but that they wanted to take a, a more a more pop route with this one you know with that kind of peppy vocals in the beginning and you know a very quick driving beat but then about a minute in they just completely change course and they just do this instrumental ditty for the next basically the remainder of the song like you're you're treated to this one minute yay hey everything is light and poppy and then they just completely pull the rug out from underneath you 
I, I want to circle back to what you had pointed out, Clay. The song kicks off with this semi-chaotic... Chaotic, it works. Words. Chaotic, we're in Australia now. The song kicks off with a semi-chaotic pace, swirling in this emotion lyrically and sonically before it just feels like it just breaks out the back door. And it's, it's exactly the one minute mark. And it shifts into this just long stride drift for the rest of the song. But it that drift has the those pops of horns. And and we all know we love horns here. The but the there's an unraveling, a kind of a slow fraying, whatever you want to call it, of before I got here. And it becomes fascinating to witness just the it's almost an exhausted explosion of energy. Like it comes out and it explodes really quickly and then it just it it spends two and a half minutes to fade into the silhouetted drum beat. And it the way this song is put together on the whole, beginning to end, the way that it just comes out of the gate with just this huge energy and then eventually just leads to that solo snare that's just almost syncopated, staggering out at the very end. It's just absolutely brilliant to me. Like, as a whole, you really need to listen to the song beginning to end without me going on and on about why you need to listen to this song from beginning to end, just to really fully appreciate it. And that circles back to why I'm I'm really here going, don't focus too hard on upping the production and refining the sound because that like stab and then slow pull out of the knife kind of feel to this song is yes. Like that, that is, that's what made this really stand out to me. And what makes me think that, you know, Paul Berta, 5,000, and hopefully not three years later, we get another album from them because there's going to be a lot more here that's worth listening to for sure. Well, and it makes me think that when they set out to create this album, I'm not sure how much of it was their own idea to say, we're going to, you know, we're going to up the production value. We're going to, you know, make it more polished. We're going to make it more poppy versus them saying, okay, yeah, we'll do that. But then we're also going to do it on our own terms because it kind of, that's kind of what it feels like to me. And I'm not going to be able to do anything better than your, than your knife analogy, but it was, it, it's, it's really that they, you know, they came in with a driving force and then they just, they, they pulled back really slowly to, to where they originally were. Well, and go check out Before I Got Here by Paul Berta and check out Paul Berta 5000 on Wharfcat Records. Came out January 22nd. You know how I knew that this next artist was Canadian, Clay? The U. The U and favorite. They don't even know how to spell. They could have been British. They don't know how to spell either. Greg, have you ever had a long-distance relationship? I have not. Not in the true sense of it, no. Okay. Well, I can't say that I have either, but I feel like, you know, I got a really good taste of what it can be like in listening to the new track by Favorite Daughter, Long distance. How you doing? How's your day been? Love? What did you get up to? What's been changing up? How's the weather been on your side? Citadel's been blocking all the noise from the city. Pin drop quiet. Silence sitting pretty fine on my side. How did you get a feel for a long distance relationship by listening to the new track from Favorite Daughter? Well, I, this is one of the rare times where the lyrics to me just basically come right out and tell me everything that's going on right away. Like, so there's, there, not there, a lot there's, of there's no there's no obfuscation, there's no symbolism. 
any any of that. It's it's literally this conversation between a woman and her girlfriend as favorite daughter, aka Julia Kenefic, points out that you're sitting there having basically this kind of banal conversation where it's just like, "How are you doing? What have you been up to? How are things? Okay, I'm I'm glad we checked in on each other." And you're basically just having a really hard time with it, but you're just going through the going through the motions. But it's all all of this, you know, kind of uh, perfunctory conversation is just encapsulated in this wonderfully upbeat indie rock sound that, as Kenefic puts it, like this is a this is a good track to put on when you're in kind of one of those moods and you just you need to go out for a run or you just need to get some stuff done around the house. Like it's for something that's got such a heady material, it's got a wonderfully upbeat quality to it. And it's interesting that you point out going for a run because in the music video, she's inexplicably running in a suit and, and, um, and Converse all-stars, which she's rocking the chucks in a suit, I, man. I put those things on for an hour and I feel like I, I need to go see a foot surgeon. Yeah. They're, they're not runnable shoes. <laughs> <laughs> They're not comfortable for running, but and it we it, we joked about this kind of off air, if you will. But uh, a public service announcement: Do not try and put on makeup while running. The eyeliner could cause some serious damage. But check out the music video of this as well. But it, the conversation is really, I think, the key point to this. And yes, that's what created this entire feeling and song for favorite daughter. But I would ask, what if you're ever on the phone with someone? And you don't really have much to say. What do you talk about? You you check in on those perfunctory things that I talked about earlier. It's you just you you you're checking the bo- how's the weather. Yeah, you're, you're checking the boxes. Yeah, you ask about the weather when you have nothing else to say to someone. You say, "So how's the weather there?" And what really stood out to me is the way that favorite daughter in long distance used that question about the weather, and it it it's a repetitious core. And I think that it's yes. Some may call it a chorus, but the focus of coming back to the weather and how's the weather, it, it builds on this, this sense and this use of the chorus to not just hold the song structure, but to drive home the narrative of the charade that she's experiencing. It's this repetition of how's the weather, like all our conversations have become is just this, well, how's the weather? Well, how's the weather? Like, you don't really care how that you're not there. You don't need to put on a coat for weather happening 500 miles away. But it's that subtle stroke. It's just one piece to the song that elevates it to another level. And it's every song has a chorus, but this one takes the chorus and builds and almost rolls into the chorus to to really elevate the the sense of this relationship just coming apart. And the realization of, I keep asking you how the weather is, might have fit that into the chorus, but that's really all we are anymore. So the the relationship's just breaking down. So why are we even doing this anymore? That's that stood out to me in a, in a really, I'll, I'll just call it a brilliant stroke. Well, she mentions that in, in writing the song, it, I mean, it's, it is a, a personal narrative talking about, she was doing a, a gig in Halifax in the summer of 2019 and had a, as she called it, a frustrating phone call with her then girlfriend. She said, quote, we were spending a four month stretch away from each other while I traveled for work. Neither of us were really communicating well and our daily check-ins became monotonous. As Greg points out, how's the weather? Both of us kept up the charade that we were good while allowing fear and resentment to build up, which ended up costing us the relationship entirely. And I think, like you mentioned the chorus and the building in the chorus, but as the song goes along, it starts out kind of bright and then you can kind of just feel the anxiety building up in the song as it goes along. You know, things get a little frayed there at, at times. And then for the final chorus, to me, it felt less anxious and more confident. Yeah, I'm still asking the same questions, but I already know how this is going. And I, and I've, I've kind of made peace with it, but I'm going to be as emphatic and confident in that as possible as I'm still going through these motions.
I really like how you found the confidence in the chorus, and I and I we keep coming back to that and. The use of the chorus. So many people, the chorus is just the sing-along part of the concert. Everyone knows the chorus. Here we go. Da, 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 da. Like, in a bathtub clapping chorus. It's the way that Favorite Daughter uses the chorus and that confidence the last time. It's stressing the stress on the relationship, but also the individual stress, but then that confidence that comes in hard at the end. And from the moment I hit play on long distance from the first time I wanted so badly to hear Julia Kenefick's voice just soar. I, I, when I first hit play, I thought this is a song where if her voice doesn't go, I'm not going along with this song. And I, I wanted to feel the breadth of the song so bad with her voice. And I was not disappointed. It is a beautiful voice that she knows damn well what she's doing and she pushes it and you feel it and well done to her for that. But at the foundation of Long Distance, we would be remiss if we didn't point out the guitar that begins innocent enough. It builds into this ever slightly distorted drive as the song progresses as well, but it rides on this collection of rhythm and synth that moves as one you can almost lose track of that, that underlying rhythm and synth, but it, it's so vital and important to the the overall, and we're coming back to the word, but swell of this track. And it projects the energy and the feeling, and they all move as one. And it's crazy to think that Julia Kenefick, Sam Eastman, Kate Markle, Sam Donald, Edward Scrimger, and Gabrielle Cote-Lebreu all came together to make this song because it it's so cohesive to have so many people play so tightly together. I really appreciated that, and it's worth pointing out and recognizing. So go check out Favorite Daughters Long Distance. As of right now, this is the only track that she has released, but we definitely look forward to more of what Favorite Daughter has in store for us. I'm not going to play nice. Uh, why not? Uh, this next track is one that I'm not going to be nice with. Oh, uh, okay. I am going to push this one through the harsh reality of recognition because for the namesake, you need to understand why I did that. And uh, we'll get to that. But for now, we are talking about TJ Ward's Redemption. Tell me to stay. Direction to the place where I think I lost my way. I think I'll go back to Dallas and get my head on straight. Gonna find a new perspective. Put my mind in a better state. T.J. Ward, Atlanta, Georgia singer-songwriter, artist, released Redemption in October of 2020, yet it really feels like it fits more for early 2021. So maybe he was throwing it out there and saying, you know, I'm going to put this out there, but hold on to this until 2021. Maybe it was just some fate that happened there. Uh, I said I wasn't going to be overly nice with this. I'm going to, I'm going to really push this one through the, the strainer of Greg's criticism. And there is an overwhelming late nineties, early aughts yep. vocal yep. I, sense I, here. Well, every part of the song, 
I'll be honest. Yeah. Well, but okay, maybe it's that distorted vocals that that put through the ringer kind of vocals that come across that are that are synthesized in a way that it's floating on this slow strum, that skipping snare beat. It feels so vertical horizon. Done. Like it's been done. And like the namesake when I hit play, I told myself there better be a redemption here. Oh man, is there a redemption here? <laughs> Say something. <laughs> I, no, you can't just leave me on the hook for that one. My 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 brain just kind of went to that. Uh, there's a reason that that sound was so popular at one point. It it's not like it was a a terrible sound. Like like you talked about that that weird filter that they put on his voice to the to just the the distorted you know guitar interludes and the solo. Like everything feels literally 20 years ago. And for those of us who grew up listening to music of that time, just hit with a ton of nostalgia for something that was actually just released last year. I mean, don't get me wrong, like it's a killer guitar solo, but it's everything about this song sounds like, and this is going to sound really cruel, but I don't mean it to sound that way. But it's basically like if you were teaching an AI robot music and like you just gave it like the, the 1999 to 2001 catalog, like this is what it would create in terms of like each piece, like there's like, oh, I remember that from this song. Oh, I remember that from this song. Oh, I remember that from, you know, Stained or whatever. And so you just, you get all of that, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm trying to be an optimistic person, but it almost feels like this is a person who's creating a celebration to a specific sound that he, I, I don't know how old TJ, TJ Ward is, but I'm just going to assume that this is something that he grew up with and he's celebrating a sound that he grew up loving. over time arguably since maybe the mid 90s there's been this conversation of like what happened to the guitar solo it's like where'd it go there was like a staple in like rock music and 90s music right there was this, this hardcore guitar solo i mean that that elevated you know the joe perry's the slashes of the world and like the guitar solo right i'm not saying that redemption has a slash or perry slash slash perry solo but it it maybe it's my own nostalgia is the way that this redeems itself is this answers a question of what happened to the guitar solo. It's here and it's people just need to make a choice. It, yeah, but it, it's, it's, it's a sincere whoa moment when at about the two minute mark, that guitar comes in with that solo. And that's the redemption to this song. Clay's <laughs> AI robotic <laughs> assessment aside Somewhere, somehow, some way, TJ Ward has convinced my mind that this sound isn't some rehash of decades old music. The I, I took the road to hell just to find my way back home line. And then the way that the noodley guitar and it stands at the front of the stage of this track and plays it out becomes a rock song that I feel like I haven't heard in a long time. And, and I like to think of this as an ode to that era maybe but in a in a new way in a refreshing way and it's it's a redemption within itself and we've been very critical of this track as we've talked about it i think rightfully so in no way am i saying that you should just disregard tj ward's redemption as just some has been rehash no it's a it's a delightful song like i put it on and i feel wonderful whenever i listen to it like it's yeah it, I mean, he knows how to hit all the right notes. He does, and he does it well. And then that guitar solo is not just some kid in the basement. Like, maybe he is in a basement in Atlanta. I don't know. But you get some good sound baffling more in the basement. It. And then it's, it is, it's a fun solo. Like, it grabs your attention. It's not just part of a song. Like, 
there's basically clearing the screen and saying, listen to this, and then just shreds into this. And it, I missed that. And maybe I'm just not listening to all the right stuff at the moment, but it feels like that's been missing for a long time. And the redemption comes from that. And it makes you feel good. It makes you feel again. And that is the quality of TJ Ward's redemption. Are you, would, would you say that you're feeling good? Oh, oh. We're done here, Clay. We're done. Go listen to TJ Ward's Redemption. I'm going to go smack Clay around. Thank you for spending time with us this week. Thanks for listening and experiencing these four new tracks. Keep supporting and listening to independent music. Keep keep listening to local and independent music. Keep supporting local and independent music. <laughs> yeah, what Clay said. Wow. Uh, welcome to February 2021. Uh, we've made it through a whole month and the world's still here. We hope that you will join us next week. And thanks for spending time with Nanobot Rock Mixtape. You can find us on As Facebook, always. Twitter, Instagram, at Nanobot Rock. We're on the web at nanobotrock.com, which is where we'll post this podcast and where you can find other uh, reviews and releases that Greg is wonderful enough to put out into the world. Email us your submissions, info at nanobotrock. We love to hear from bands. We love to hear from publicists. We love to hear from publicist bands and publicist friends and bands friends and family. And I'm just going to stop now. What if I'm a friend of a publicist? Send it. That must be the drummer. He's got big calves. <laughs> <laughs>